Well, as Pastor Barry said, I am the Student Connections Pastor at Impact, which is our student ministry here at the Assembly. And I want to take a moment just to tell you about a huge outreach event that we have coming up that we do every year called One Big Party. And uh, the students know all about it. And so um, it's just an incredible outreach event. In the past, we've seen as much as 900 students show up for this outreach event. And, and, And believe us, we are absolutely all about the numbers, not only for this event, but each and every Wednesday night in our student ministry, we're about the numbers because we believe every number has a name, every name has a story, and every story matters to God. And so we do see who's showing up. But most importantly, we care about that because we want to see life change happen in the lives of students. And this year, we're encouraging our students to get to a place of bringing their friends for the sole purpose of their friends coming to hear the presentation of Jesus Christ and accepting Jesus into their life. And and I know you might say, well, hey, isn't that always the reason? But sometimes it can get lost through some of the incentives that we have on this night and all these things. But we just want to see our students get to a place of desperation to say, I'm bringing my friend and I'm going to do whatever it takes to bring my friends to this event because I want to see them encounter Jesus in their life. And so whether they have an invite or not, they're going to speak up, they're going to tell kind of the desperation and this do whatever it takes mentality found in Mark chapter 2, and yes, I'm using a verse, and I'm still in my announcements, so I'm not quite my message, but Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, this type of desperation, it says, when Jesus returned to Capernaum, several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room, even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. And later on, once Jesus got past some religious people of his day. He met his physical need, but I see fit that Jesus met his spiritual need first. And so we talk about all these great incentives at this outreach event that we have, but most importantly, we want to see students' spiritual need met first, and we want to see students meet Jesus on Wednesday, October 30th, right here in this room. And so I say all that to say this. If you have children, grandchildren, a niece, a nephew, cousins, anyone from the ages of 12 to 18 years old, make sure they are here Wednesday, October 30th, to hear the message of Christ spoken. And so um, we want them to be here. And if nothing else, what we want you to do that's going to be so helpful for us is to be in prayer for us. Be in, pray for our, be in prayer for our team, our amazing lead student pastors, Pastor Justin and Lauren Weaver. And so be in prayer for us to see students come to meet Jesus. Well, this morning, before we get started, would you pray with me? Jesus, I pray, Lord, that you would do what only you can do, that you would speak to hearts, challenge lives, Lord, challenge our perspective on some things this morning. Help us, Jesus, to reach the lost. Help us to reach our world, Father. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, the title of my message is Change Your World. Change Your World. And as I begin this morning, I'd like to share with you some of the most recent statistics regarding the church and Christianity. And I realize this probably isn't the most popular way to kick off the start of a message, but I think it's important to put into perspective some things for you this morning. And so 
here are some of these statistics, and they're quite concerning. And that's why I say it's a little unpopular to start off like this. The first statistic is this. Less than 20% of Americans attend church on any given weekend. Less than 20% of Americans attend church on any given weekend. So that means there's at least over 80% of the American population that woke up this morning and thought to themselves, I have much better things to do with my day than go to church. The next one is, is today in America, a regular church attender is classified as anyone who shows up three out of eight Sundays. A regular church attender is considered anyone that shows up three out of eight Sundays. So if you show up three times in two months, you're a regular church attender. Out of 350,000 churches in the U.S., less than 1% are growing by conversional growth. Less than 1%. So that means all these other 99% of the churches, I guess, are just kind of growing by if one person in the church gets mad and the church doesn't do something they want. They leave to another church. And then that church does something they don't like. They leave to another church. And it's just hopping around all these different churches And it's not conversional growth, it's just a bunch of people hopping around different churches that already know Jesus. The fastest growing faith group in America is non-believers who claim no religion. 71% of Americans said they believe Jesus makes a positive difference in a person's life. That's shocking. 71% of Americans said they believe Jesus makes a positive difference in a person's life. Here's another shocker. 78% of Americans said they would be willing to listen to someone who wanted to share their faith. 78% of Americans said, I'd be willing to listen to someone if they want to share their faith. If they would share their faith, I'd be willing to listen. The unchurched age group of 18 to 29, the unchurched age group from 18 to 29 has a confused view of of God and a negative view of the church. And and that makes sense. The unchurched has a confused view of God and a negative view of the church. People between the ages of 18 and 29. And this one really hits home for me because this is really what I pour my life into week after week. Only 4% of American teenagers go to church. Only 4% of American teenagers go to church. 65% of kids raised in church drop out after high school graduation. 65%. And here's the last one. When the young unchurched were asked to write down just five things that come to mind, just when they hear the word church, here's the top five things that they came up with. Just when they hear the word church. Here it is. Number one, candles. Candles. When the young unchurched hear the word church, they think of candles. Number two, pews. Number three, flowers. Just when they hear the word church. Number four, communion. And this last one, number five, hypocrites. And some of us, I kind of hear some laughing and and all that. Those are some funny answers, but I got to be quite honest with you. It's pretty sad. And there's something in me that rises up, and I just can't help when I see people outside of this building who don't know Jesus. There's something in me, there's a passion, there's a fire in me that I want to see them come to know Jesus. And I want to do whatever it takes. And sometimes I'm not quite sure where to start or how to begin. 
and, and, and how to go about doing that. And so based off these statistics alone, I think that you would agree with me. There's an obvious need to change our world. There's an obvious need to change our world. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16, he says, You're the world's light, a city on a hill glowing in the night for all to see. Don't hide your light. Let it shine for all. Let your good deeds glow for all to see so that they will praise your heavenly Father. Let your good deeds glow for all to see so that they will praise your heavenly Father. I want to tell you, every one of you in this room is an influencer. Every one of you is influencing the people around you. It may be negatively. It may be positively. It may even just be neutrally. Maybe it's just kind of like, well, I just show up to work. I just show up to school. I just kind of do what's asked of me, and I'm out. Like, it's just kind of neutrally. I don't feel like I'm really influencing people negatively or positively. You might be just kind of neutrally, but you're all influencing someone in your life. Every week, I have a great opportunity to be at Oliver Middle School right next door, and I get to tell students twice a week during school hours on the school campus, a great opportunity that I believe God set up, I get to tell students that they can change their world. They can influence the people around them. And can I tell you the temptation, the thought is, but I just show up here, it's the same thing, it's just mundane, Yeah, everything that I do, it's just kind of a cycle, I'm just kind of going through the motions. How can I really change my world? And I want to say the same to you, just as I say to these students, that you might feel like you're just going through the motions, that you just show up and you're just kind of dragging into work or into school, and you just feel tired. Let me tell you, yes, you, you can change your world. You are going to influence someone, but how are you going to influence them? You can influence them. You can change your world. And I want to talk this morning about helping you discover what your world is. What your world is, because it's intentionally titled, Change Your World. You see, if someone came up to me and said, Chris, I need you to go change the world. That sounds like a big task. Go change the world. I mean, sure, we can go on some mission trips and stuff, and maybe that's a a little bit different part than we're, we're used to. But change your world, I think I can do that. In fact, I know that I can do that with God's help. I can change my world. And so I want to help you see what your world actually is. Because most people, most people don't realize their own influence. They don't. And I, and I, I think that there's some of you in here this morning as I'm talking about this, this influence that you have. I think some of you are even doubting the influence that you have. Most people don't realize how God has strategically placed them somewhere to influence one, a few, or many people around them. God has you somewhere. We're going to start off in Acts chapter 16, looking at verses 16 through 31. And as you're turning your pages there and and opening up your Bible or whatever, I just want to encourage you. Strongly encourage, as Pastor Bear already said, just to take some notes. We're not going to stay here in Acts. We're not going to refer back to that. We're going to be kind of jumping around in Scripture, so don't feel like you have to hold your place there. But I say that because I'll be using uh, some different Scripture reference, kind of bouncing around here and there. But I want to give you some practical steps of how to really see how you can change your world. And and I just hope, and I know, listen, I'll be the first to tell you, I'm not taking notes every single time someone gets up to talk. But I just hope we don't get to a place in life where we just say, you know what, I've reached the ultimate level. 
I've achieved it. I know everything. I'm, I'm totally there because I know this. What you're passionate about, you're a student of that passion. In other words, you're continually growing in what you're passionate about. And the same should be said about your life as you live it for Jesus. Don't get to this place where you feel like, hey, I've, I've reached it. Like, I, I'm there. I know everything, bro. Don't tell me to take notes or something. I encourage our students as much as I can. Be a note taker. I take notes in my phone all the time, and I'm constantly referring back to these things to see the practicality and the message that God spoke to me and using that person. And so Acts chapter 16, verses 16 through 31, it says this. One day... As we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a demon-possessed slave girl. She was a fortune teller who earned a lot of money for her masters. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. So it's bad that this girl's like demon-possessed, but it's kind of cool that like these guys are getting free marketing from this lady that happens to be demon-possessed. Like, these guys are going to tell you how to be saved. Thank you, lady. Awesome. We are. So, so going on, they said that she, she went on to say this. Verse 18 says, This went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And instantly it left her. Her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered. So they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. The whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews, they shouted to the city officials. They are teaching customs that are illegal for Romans to practice. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them to be stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them in the inner part of the dungeon and clamped their feet to the stocks. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Can I tell you just as a side note, when you're going through something, when it feels like, man, it's just a tough time, when you put your faith, your hope, and your trust in God, there are other people paying attention to your life, and they see what's going on, and they're going to see how you're reacting through the situation that's difficult for you, and they're going to see what's this Jesus that you talk about? What is it? What is this Jesus that you say you live for? This church you say you attend every week? What is it all about? And these people are paying attention to how Paul and Silas, they're singing praises and they're worshiping their creator in the midst of all this trouble. And suddenly there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see what had happened. The doors were wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself because his one job was just to make sure they didn't escape. But Paul shouted, stop, don't kill yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for the lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And I share that long part of scripture really to focus on one thing, one word, household. Household. Household in the Greek is oikos. Oikos is not your family members. It can include your family members, but it doesn't just limit to family members. So... In other words, it's not saying that once you give your life to Christ, you don't have to do anything for your family because they'll automatically receive Christ just because you did. It's not saying that. It doesn't even necessarily mean your house is in your physical household, but it literally means the people that are under your roof of influence, the people there, the, the people that are right there around you every day. They're always around you, the ones that are under your relational covering. Paul and Silas are basically saying, Jeller, 
if you'll get saved, if you'll give your life to Jesus, what will happen is how we've impacted your life by living our lives in this way, your life will impact the people in your sphere of influence as well. So going back to verse 31, he says, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. Everyone, in other words, in your sphere of influence. So as I said earlier, I want to talk about what your world is, what your oikos is, what your sphere of influence is and the people that are included in it. Because God's hope for the world was that when you found Jesus Christ as your Savior, that you would have a positive impact on the people around you. And the first thing I want to do is help you see who they are, what your oikos actually already is. You have a sphere of influence where you can change your world. And the first one is this, my people. My people. Your people. The people that you're around every day. That's where it starts with. These people are the ones that you're close to. It's family. It's friends. It's coworkers. It's classmates. People that you see on a daily basis. People that are right there around you. They're in your life and you need to know that there's an expectation from God that says, I put you around all these people for a specific reason. If you live understanding this, then you can have an influence on their life. You can have an influence on their life. Most sociologists say that the average person has about 12 people in their sphere of influence. And they come up with this by saying that if you spend an hour or more with an individual throughout each week, then that person is in your sphere of influence. So it's not saying an hour or more every day throughout the week. It's saying throughout seven days... If you're around someone for an hour or more combined in those seven days, then that person is considered to be under your sphere of influence. As I said earlier, maybe that's hopefully family, coworkers, classmates, people that you're around every day. And most people have about 12 people that they spend an hour or more with. And these 12 people, I believe, are not by accident at all. These are the people that are in your sphere of influence. So what does Jesus say about it? What does he say about all this? Mark chapter 5, verses 18 through 19. It says, As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. You ever notice that Jesus tells this man to go home And tell your own people. He doesn't say, hey, go, you know, across the world and go tell those people. And listen, I'm all for mission trips. Our church is huge on missions. I absolutely believe in that 100%. But I see that Jesus here first says, go home to your own people and tell them what has happened in your life. And time and time again, as I've been reading the one-year Bible, I'm doing the chronological plan this year, and I finally reached the New Testament 13 days ago. Um, and, and it's like, geez, you know, I love the Old Testament. And, but, and I'm in the New Testament, and time and time again, as I'm going through the Gospels, I see guys' lives change, whether by healing, met by a spiritual need, some form or another. And every time, what do they do? And Jesus says something to them. He says, at first, he said, don't speak about this. And every time, what do the people do? They go back to their town, to their village, to their oikos, the people that are around them every single day. And they immediately tell them, the entire town, the entire village, this is what Jesus did. This is how it was before, and this is how I am now. They go back to their own people. 
The thought of going to like 169 and 71st and just like witnessing to people street evangelism or something, that's a little bit scary to me. Maybe it is for you too. But reaching my people, my sphere of influence, I can do that. I can do that. And Jesus says, go back to your own people. The second area that defines your sphere of influence would be my place. My place. God has you in a certain place for a certain reason, for a certain purpose. You're in Broken Arrow, Tulsa, Bixby, Jinx, Glenpool, Catoosa, Coweta, Wagner, wherever it is that you may be, Oklahoma, wherever it is that you live, God has you there for a specific reason. You're not in the school you're in, student, by accident. God has you there for a reason. God did that. You're in the physical location for a reason. Even if you don't enjoy where you're at, you need to take advantage of it because God has you there for a purpose. And God's calling is greater than your circumstances. And you might look around and say, man, my circumstances are horrible. Look at, what I, look at this environment. It's difficult. People are always making fun of my faith and all these things. Listen, God has you there for a reason. God has you in your school for a reason. And though, as we heard earlier, the statistics are overwhelming. They're hurtful. They're very sad. They're disheartening. And there's 4% of American teenagers attending church. And you might feel like you're the only one at times in your school. But God has you in that school for a reason. To make a difference. To change your world. God has you there for a purpose. (laughs) Psalm 90. Psalm 90, verse 17, it says this, May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. See that God is blessing you. See that God has you in your work for a reason. And he wants to bless you. And he wants to use you. But if you're going through with this attitude that says it's all about me, you're forgetting what it means to live for Jesus. It's not about us. It's about him in us. And if you think like this, that it's all about you, you're missing it. And you're going to find yourself fading out of this place quickly and more importantly, fading out of your relationship with Jesus. It's about Him in us. And it's about us growing and also going. We're growing and we're going constantly. Jesus is sending out the disciples. They're going from place to place, reaching people who don't know about him, who haven't experienced him. And God has you in your place for a reason. Your vocation is your ministry location. Your vocation is your ministry location. And you might say, man, I just find that difficult. Like, I'm not a pastor or something. Like, I don't know, you know, all these things, whatever. It's okay. God has you there for a reason. And look at the work of Nehemiah and Ezra. Ezra did the things of God and, 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 and the teaching and all that. Nehemiah was a builder, but yet they worked together. And God used them to, 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 to work and brought blessings upon them. And God can use you wherever you're at because your vocation is your ministry location. You're there to change your world. That's your spot. Establish your school, your workplace, your teachers, your coworkers, your fellow classmates, your family, and so on. Establish that as your spot because that's where God has you. The third is this, my passion. My passion, my people, my place, my passion. God has placed passions, I believe, in every one of you. There are certain parts of the world that some of you are drawn to. As I said earlier, we're huge on missions here at the assembly. Anywhere from kids to adults, elders, there are hundreds of people that go on mission trips every summer through our church. 
And some of you, you have passions for certain parts of the world, certain activities. And the assembly is not built on our ideas, but rather your passions. There are some of you, you have passions. And, and through your passions, we've started ministries. We've started outreach groups because you're passionate about something. And maybe there's some things here that, that, that you'll say, you know, when you guys talk about that, I'm not real passionate about that. But when I hear you talk about that, I, I'm passionate about that. And I, I believe this morning that every one of us, If we're not passionate about this yet, we need to get to a place of being passionate and changing our world. The people that are around us every day, they're there for a reason. God put the passions inside of you for a reason. And there's some things that that, that you've got to begin to do and work them out. It's your sphere of influence. You put your time, your effort into these passions. And you use it for your sphere of influence. You have certain passions. Follow them. Psalm 37, verse 4, it says, Take delight in the Lord, and He will give you your heart's desires. So how do we change our world? I always tell our students that I don't want to just kind of preach a message, and it's like, cool, great, yeah, uh, give me some practical ways to walk this out. And this is what this side is. How do we change our world? So let's dig a little deeper. I want to give you three things that you can start to practice as soon as you walk out these doors. And the first thing you need to realize is that you can change your world through your manner. Your manner. You can change your world through your manner. How you talk, how you act, how you live. I talk about this often to our students. That there are people, and I'm so surprised at how many Christians don't realize how many people are paying attention to their life when you're claiming to be a Christian, when you're claiming to be a follower of Christ, when you're claiming that Jesus has changed you. Even when you claim that you go to church, people are going to pay attention to how you live your life, your manner. How is it? How you live, how you talk, how you act. When you go to the restaurant after church, how are you treating these waiters and waitresses? When you're at work, how are you treating your coworkers? When you're at school, how are you treating your classmates? People are paying attention to your life, whether you like it or not. And I'm an example of this. Before I got plugged into church, I didn't grow up in church. And I can remember on Monday mornings when my friends who went to church in middle school and stuff, I can remember them talking to them what church was about. I don't understand. I don't go to church. And, and, and as soon as they talked about going to church, I immediately started to pay attention to their life. I was like, I want to know what it is that's so different about you that you go to church on Sunday mornings. You seem pretty devoted about it. Every Monday morning, you come in here talking about you're tired, you went to church, blah, blah, blah. And I wonder what it is that makes you so different. I don't go to church. You go to church. What is it? I'm going to pay attention to your life. And there are some people, sadly, that, man, their manner didn't match up with their faith. Pay attention to your manner. I heard Christine Kane once say, your life as a Christian should make non-believers question their disbelief in God. Your life as a Christian should make non-believers question their disbelief in God. And with no belief in God, being the fastest faith group in our country really makes you wonder and think, how am I living around the people that I walk by every day? That I'm around every day. Pay attention to your manner. And I see Christians go around taking this lightly. And and I look and I'm just like, what is going on? Has Jesus changed you? Has he made you new? Have you been set free? How, How can you continue to live this way and not see that people are paying attention? And the misconception is this. Here's the huge misconception of this entire message. That there are people sitting in here right now that are thinking, you know, Pastor Chris, that's great and all, but I don't know a lot about the Bible. 
I don't know a lot about the Bible. Like if I got into a debate or something, like I don't know if I'd be able to defend. And Listen, here's the deal. You don't have to know a lot about the Bible. You don't have to know. Like, can I tell you that? You have a story to share. You can tell it. Just like talking with someone at a restaurant, you, you, you can share that. You don't have to know. If someone was in front of me and they said, hey, man, Chris, I got $3,000 in cash in my back pocket right now. And I said, no, you don't. They said, yes, I do. No, you don't. Yes, I do. No, you don't. Yes, I do. No, I do. No, you don't. Yes, I do. No, you don't. Yes, I do. Eventually, you'd get tired of that. And someone would speak up and say, just show me the money. Just show me the money. And I think in our world, people who don't know Jesus are saying, just show me Jesus. Show me him. You don't have to sit there and win like a theological debate or something. There's people that are in our world that are starving to see Jesus in you and through you. And how are you going to live? Your manner is important. And, and so many people, like I said, they just kind of keep it on the quiet. Like, shh, I'm in school. I'm a Christian. But I'm going to keep it down because if anybody starts to question me, I don't know if I'm going to listen. You have a story to share. I was this way. I'm now this way because Jesus changed me. And let me tell you, I can't explain a lot. I don't know a lot maybe. But this is what happened in my life. I was that student. When I was 14 years old, I gave my life to Jesus. It was during the summertime. I went into high school. All my friends who knew me in middle school saw a different Chris. I couldn't really explain a lot about the Bible at the time, but I said, you knew me before. This is how I am now, and there's a reason for it. It's because Jesus changed my life. Show people Jesus. Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 through 6, it says, Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. The second one you need to recognize is this, your moment. Your moment. Psalm 37, verse 23, it says this, The Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. Every detail of your life, God delights in. He directs your steps. And so what does that mean? We've got to be in tune in our relationship with God. We've got to be in tune with the Holy Spirit. He delights in every detail of our life. He guides our steps. He's with us. And when we're in tune with the Holy Spirit, we know our time, and we're able to talk about what God has done in our life, your moment. Your moment. Proverbs 16, 9 says, we can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. We can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. Listen, I know you've been there before. You invited someone maybe when it was Easter or Christmas, and you thought, here it is. This is the moment. This person, they're not living for Jesus. I'm going to invite them on this time. And they come, trust me, I felt it before as a student. I know some of our students have felt this before. Talking about the first thing I talked about, one big party, this huge outreach event. Students bring their friends. And sometimes we get discouraged when our friends don't accept Jesus when we expect them to accept Jesus. The Lord knows what he's doing in his timing. But you've got to stay faithful. Your job is to stay faithful. Continue praying, continue believing, and continue living it out for them. They need to see Jesus in you. Your moment will come for them to have that just excitement and saying, man, my, my, my family member, my friend, my coworker, my friend from school, they know Jesus now. Your moment. We can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. And finally, what we bring is our message. What we bring is our message. Our message 
as Christians should not be so much of what we're against, but what we're for. And that is what Christ has done in us. Our message shouldn't be so much of what we're against, but what we're for. I'm almost kind of tired of hearing so much about what you're against as a Christian and, and, and all these, like, we're going to hold an organization about what we're against and all this stuff rather than what we're for. And that's that Jesus has changed us. That's that God sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, from heavenly realm to earth to live a life, to be punished, to be beaten, and die on a cross so that we can have life. That's our message. That's our message. That's what we're for. That's what I'm for. First Peter 3.15, it says, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 19. This is reassuring for me. And I hope it is for you. I hope it's something that's refreshed in your heart, in your mind, in your spirit. It says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. I don't know about you, but I'm happy that he doesn't count my sin against me when I accept him, when I choose to live for him. And I don't know about you, but I'm compelled to change my world because someone stepped up and changed theirs by simply inviting me to church. And on July 10th of 2002, I gave my life to Jesus. I can remember I was 14 years old. I can describe to you exactly what I was wearing. And it's kind of comical. Some of our students can tell you, like in description, I've described before what I'm wearing and why. People have asked me, how do you know your story so well? How do you know all this description? Because Jesus made that much of a difference in my life and because I share it often. And I hope that you don't forget your story of what Jesus has done on, in your life. And, and I hope, just as Pastor Ron was talking about, that it's not a story that we look back and go, wow, that's an old, great memory. But it's something that you cling to to remember that you've been changed, that you've been forgiven, that you've been taken out of this sinful state and brought life. And let me tell you, you can't sit there with this attitude and say, it's all about me when it's all about him in you. There are people that are around you that need to know who this Jesus is. There are people around you that need to know what it is that you stand for, who it is that you believe in. Jesus has changed me, and I'm compelled to change my world by sharing what he's done in me. And let me ask you a question. When did you give your life to Jesus? Just something to think about. When did you give your life to Jesus? Because here's the deal. Salvation it's a transformation, moving from the old to the new. It's no small thing. Yet when I ask people, when did you give your life to Jesus? Time and time again, I hear, I don't know. I can't remember. I've grown up in church my whole life, and that can't be. And that can't be. We can't have something so powerful happen in our life that we can't remember because we remember the important dates in our life. We remember when we got married. We remember when our children were born. And then all of a sudden, we can't remember when we made the biggest decision to cross from death to life. That can't be. When did Jesus change your life? When did Christ transform you? When was the day that everything changed? It's something that we have to evaluate. 
has that transformation ever really taken place or have you just kind of gone through the motions of the church experience all your life? My next question is this. Who have you introduced to Jesus? Who have you introduced to Jesus? Have you ever been with a friend somewhere when all of a sudden someone comes up to you and starts talking to you and you recognize them, but you cannot for the life of you figure out where you recognize them from? And they know your name, but you don't know theirs. And it's awkward because you can't introduce the friend you're with to this person that apparently knows you, but you don't know them. Could it be, could it be that we're not introducing Jesus Christ to other people because we don't really know him? Because you can't introduce Jesus if you don't know Jesus. Just like I can't introduce a friend of mine, if I don't really know them, I can't introduce this person that's standing before me to this person that's to my side if, if I don't know the person standing in front of me. Come on, I know that's happened to you before. And could it be that, man, we, we should have a difficult time introducing others to Jesus because we just don't quite know Jesus for ourselves. Maybe you've been in church for a long time, but you don't know Jesus you don't have a relationship with Jesus. He hasn't transformed you in a way that maybe you see he has in someone else's life. And you hear stories of what God has done, but you say, I can't identify because I don't know him. I mean, sure, we may recognize Jesus, but we can't introduce him if we don't know him. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to ask this question. Maybe you're in here this morning. As I talk about changing your world, you say, man, my life, my world needs to be changed this morning. I'm not living for Jesus, but this morning, I want to know him. I want to experience him for myself. I don't want to just go by with another church experience when the songs are being sung and I don't understand why people are raising their hands and why they're living for them and, and all these things just clicking, but it's not for me. You say, I want to experience Jesus for myself. I want to know Jesus this morning. If that's you, I just want you to raise your hand right now. I see you, I see you, I see you. And what I want to do for those of you whose hands are raised, I just want to pray for you. And I encourage you to say this prayer in your own heart. Jesus, come into my life. Change me. Make me new. Help me to live for you. From this moment on, I'm changed. I'm loved. I'm forgiven. You've always been there for me. You'll always be there for me. But today, I acknowledge you as my Savior. I thank you for forgiving my sins and removing the old and bringing in the new. In Jesus' name, amen. I believe if you said that prayer and you meant it, I believe that you've just experienced Jesus in your own real way. It's no longer something that a parent, a sibling, a friend of yours lives, but you don't understand. From this moment on, Jesus has come in. He's removed the old, and he's made all things new. All things new. Let's go change our world.
There's people that are right around you every day that are waiting. Over 80% of the American population, I'm not going to church today, and you're here. And they're waiting for someone to step up and step out of their comfort zone and say, I'm going to change my world. And it may be tough at times. It may be difficult. It may be time-consuming. I may have to show some, some patience, some fruit of the Spirit, which the Bible talks about. But I'm willing to do it because my life was radically changed. When's the last time you saw someone who just recently gave their life to Jesus? I love seeing those people because those people can't shut up about Jesus. They'll look at like a straw or something at the dinner table and like start talking about Jesus. You're like, dude, it's a straw. But dude, Jesus has changed me so much I can't stop talking about it. And I think sometimes as Christians we become so mature. Like I know this about the Bible now. Let me tell you about this deep thought that I thought about the other day. We become so mature that we begin to forget our fresh experience when Jesus changed us. And I want to live like that. I want to live like something where, man, it was just yesterday. I know my story so well because it seems like it was just yesterday when Jesus changed my world. And there are people waiting for you to say, you know what? And just step out. Believe. Begin to change my world. I want to pray for you this morning. Jesus, I pray that you would be with every one of us in here, God, that you would give us courage, that you would give us strength. When it seems hard, when it seems difficult, God, remind us that we've been changed. Someone probably stepped up and changed their world by bringing us or inviting us and having this attitude that says, I'm going to do whatever it takes. God, help us to reach and change our world. God, we thank you in advance. God, I thank you for the passions that you've placed on these people's hearts. God, Help us to show you in our manner, in our moment, and in our message. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Hey, you guys have an awesome rest of the Sunday. We'd love to see you next week.